Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks. And Brian and Katie for the worship. That was great. Um, I'll just hold this right there. I, I want to begin by just talking about two, two types of people. Uh, they're hypothetical people and, and their potential response to this passage. Okay, These are stories I've made up, but I hope they're believable. They're based on conversations that I've had uh, with people. I'm kind of around this issue. Uh, so, so let me kind of present you two, two stories here. First, uh, we have a, a, a young guy. He's a Christian. He's in his 20s. Uh, he grew up in church, and, and he's been a Christian as long as he can remember. His parents are Christians, and, and his whole family uh, just always in the church. He goes to one of the faster-growing churches uh, in town, and it's exciting and welcoming. They play, you know, uh, upbeat, contemporary worship music. They talk a lot about love and grace. You know, it's a great church, and, and they're not like that judgmental, legalistic church across town. So he reads this passage during his daily devotional time, and, and he's getting pumped up. Like, he's in his room fist-pumping and clapping, giving Jesus imaginary high-fives, saying, you go, Jesus, you tell those legalistic jerks what's up. Uh, he decides he's going to text out the passage to a few of his friends and maybe uh, tweet it and, and, and post it on Instagram. And he's getting all sorts of likes and retweets uh, from friends in his church and, and even some old friends from his college ministry. The next evening, he goes to his small group and he shares this passage with, with the community. And they, they begin to talk about uh, just how grateful they are that they go to a, a welcoming and, and, and loving church. And they're not like those legalistic you know, uh, stuffy Christians that go to that other church across town. You know, those Pharisees, why can't they just be more like Jesus? So this guy goes home, and, and he's feeling great. You know, he's memorized this passage. He's already imagining the cool tattoo he's going to get about it. And, uh, and Friday rolls around. He goes out with a bunch of his friends, uh, um, friends from his church. And uh, they're just having a great time, and, and they're all thinking, he's thinking to himself, man, what, it's so great that I have such a great community of people, people who love Jesus that I can spend time with. And throughout the night, he's still sharing about this passage, some insights that God's given him uh, throughout the week uh, with his friends and, and some you know, clever pieces of wisdom that, that he has. Um, well, he goes home that night, and he's lying in bed, and, and he's still reciting this passage in his head. You know, he's memorized it. He's thinking about the great insights he's been able to share with his friends over the week. And, and he begins imagining the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. He begins thinking about this party at Matthew's house that Jesus attends and the people that were there. And, and, and then he thinks about the other stories of Jesus hanging out with sinners and, and outcasts uh, from the society. And 
And all of a sudden, it hits him like a ton of bricks. He, he feels his heart uh, just sink in his chest. He, he feels like he's got this ball of lead lodged in his throat. And he hears almost as an audible voice, your life is nothing like that. He thinks back on the party he attended that night. Other than his one friend who found Jesus a couple of years back, everyone else has been a Christian for as long as he can remember. He thinks back to his small group, every one of them, Christians. The three guys he lives with, they all volunteer in his church. Other than offering to pray for his barista's mother who's in the hospital earlier that week, he can't think of one meaningful interaction he's had with someone who doesn't go to his church. He thinks about his relationships. He realizes he doesn't have one close friend that doesn't look, act, and sound like a Christian. He has this thought that that really uh, uh, cuts into his core that maybe the Pharisees wouldn't have that much of an issue with the people he hangs out with. He thinks harder about the community of people around Jesus, tax collectors, thieves, drunks, prostitutes, gamblers, and beggars, and, and he realizes that he would be extremely uncomfortable at that dinner party. He thinks about the people who eagerly welcome Jesus into their lives, and, and he, he thinks they would probably be pretty uncomfortable hanging out with him and his friends as well. So that's guy number one. Our second person, our second story is a young woman in her early 30s. She's single. She was engaged some years back, but that didn't work out. She spends most of her nights uh, at the bars in town, and it's a good thing she lives downtown because most nights she, she drinks a little too much to drive herself home. It's not uncommon for her to go home with one of the guys she hangs out with at the bars. She didn't grow up in church. Her parents got divorced when she was young, and, and she grew up with her mom. Her dad recently started going to church with his new family, but she's never gone with them. Years ago, one of her uh, close friends started attending the same church as, as guy number one. And, you know, for a few weeks, uh, she would invite her friend to come with her, um, but, but they haven't spoken for years now. She did go once um, with, with her friend, and, you know, everyone was friendly and welcoming, but, but she felt really uncomfortable there. She felt so out of place during the, the worship, and, and the message didn't really seem to speak to her life, and, and no one really seemed to want to get to know her. They just want her to join a Bible study and come back next Sunday. She hasn't gone back since. You know, she, she actually, uh, this imaginary woman, actually happens to work with guy number one. Um, and, and they don't connect very well. He, he's nice and everything, but all he talks about is his church. And she gets the sense that he kind of judges her for going out all the time and sleeping around. The bottom line is they just live very different lives and definitely don't run in the same circles. She doesn't fit into his Christian world and, and he wouldn't fit into her world. Well, one night she comes home late from the bar and it was just a terrible night. She got in a big fight with one of her good fr friends and, and the guys at the bar were being particular, particularly irritating that night. And, and she gets home and she just crashes on the couch. And, and she actually, she, kind of, she starts to break down, and, and it's a little bit unexpected, that emotional uh, uh, feeling that she get, got, but she, she just got this sense of hopelessness. She doesn't feel like there are many people in her life who really care about her. She's tired of the same thing day after day. And sure, she has a lot of friends, and she has a lot of fun, but everything just feels pointless. Her life uh, doesn't really have much direction. 
Well, from the couch, she glances up on her bookshelf and something catches her eye, this little black Bible that her dad had given her for her birthday last year. After all the years, all the birthdays he had missed growing up, it felt more like a slap in the face than an actual gift, and she hadn't touched it. But she's always had this sense that there is a God, or at least some sort of spiritual reality. She hates religion, though, and, and she definitely doesn't feel comfortable in church. She doesn't care for most of the Christians she knows, and they don't really seem to like her that much either. Nevertheless, she feels this strong urge to take a look at the Bible. She's not expecting much, but why not? At least then she can say she opened it before throwing it out. So she pulls the Bible off her shelf and, and has no idea where to start. She's never opened a Bible before, but uh, she heard once that the New Testament is, is easier to read than the Old, so she starts there. She begins reading from the book of Matthew. Most of it is confusing and weird to her, but, but some of it catches her eye. First of all, Jesus doesn't seem to get along with the religious people. He talks a lot about love. He heals people, which is cool. And, and about 30 minutes into reading, she comes to Matthew 9. She comes to this story of Jesus inviting Matthew to follow him. She reads about Jesus going to this dinner party with a bunch of sinners. And it makes the religious people mad, and she likes that. It seems to her that this Jesus, if he were around today, would be hanging out with her and her friends at the bar, not in the churches in town. She reads that Jesus tells the religious people to show mercy, something that she has never really felt in her life, certainly not from the Christian people. Her dad was so disappointed when she broke off the engagement. She thinks to herself, why don't Christians act more like Jesus? Why do they have to have their own little clubs and hang out only with themselves? You know, if Jesus was hanging out with people like me, why is it that every time I have a friend that starts going to church, they stop hanging out with me? Why does my coworker give, the, give me that demeaning look of pity every time I would talk about my weekend? Why can't Christians be more like Jesus? So story number two, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people outside of the church who see this disconnect between Jesus and the church. From their perspective, it is massive, this gap between Jesus and Christians. And we can make excuses. We can say, well, we're not like that. You know, we, we hang out with people. We, we can point out ways that we engage with our community outside of the church. But the reality is, if we are not intentionally and persistently shaping our lives and our communities to look and act like Jesus, that disconnect will always be apparent. If we are not intentionally and persistently shaping our lives and communities to look and act like Jesus, that disconnect will always be there. It is deeply ingrained in the church today. And this passage, it shines a light on that disconnect. This passage, if we take it seriously, shows us that the way Jesus approaches community, how he gathers people and who he gathers, is vastly different from how we gather in our churches today. So let me illustrate this, this disconnect for you. And some of you have seen this recently, so bear with me. But there's this, there's this guy named uh, Paul Hebert, and he's uh, a, a man of, of many 
gifts. He, he passed away in 2007, and he was a mathematician and an anthropologist and a sociologist and a theologian and a missionary. He spent a lot of his life in India um, serving, serving the people that lived there. And uh, he also spent a few years as a professor at the seminary I attended, not while I was there. Um, but, but he's a really important guy in, in the world of, of mission. And he illustrated this disconnect between how the church gathers and how Jesus gathered communities using this concept that he got from his years studying statistics. And it's called bounded set and center set. So I'm just going to share that real quick. Um, so there's this idea of bounded set. And he says the church often looks more like a bounded set community where you have a box and those who are in the box are in and those who are outside the box are out. And the boundaries of the box are defined by primarily behaviors and beliefs. All right, so if you have the right uh, behaviors and beliefs, you're in. And if you don't hold the right behaviors and beliefs, you're out. Okay, it's a very clear line as to how you gather and, and are part of community. So this is called bounded set. And he says the church, you know, the church often looks like that. Okay, you got to hold the right uh, uh, doctrinal beliefs. You have to, you want to act the right way when you enter into a church. Um, you know, typically th that's, and, and even for the welcoming churches, there is a, a, a clear line as who, who's in and who's out. He says that Jesus would gather communities um, uh, that look more like centered set. Centered set, um, uh, is, again, it's a statistics concept. Um, but it's, uh, it's how you collect data points. He said people were gathered uh, around Jesus in, in terms of the center set. So Jesus being the center, right, uh, a core of how people gather. And then you have people all over the place at various distances from the center. Okay? And what Jesus was concerned about was not people being in or out, but what direction people were moving. Okay, if people were moving towards Jesus, they, they, he, they, they were part of that community. Okay, where people that might look like they have it all together, be close to Jesus, close to the center, at least in appearance, may be drifting away. So in our uh, passage, you know, we have a guy like Matthew, where in... in um, in, the, in, in terms of, of Jewish culture, he was very much outside of the box that the Jewish religious leaders had set. The behaviors and the beliefs that you were supposed to hold to be a good Jewish person, he was on the outside. He was far away. Okay? But when Jesus came into his life, he moved towards Jesus. He welcomed Jesus into his life and, and in, into his community. Now you have the Pharisees that look like they might be in based on how they act and, and what they believe. They hold all the right beliefs. They do all the right things. But they're drifting away from the center. All right, does that make sense, at least in, in, in theory? All right. So this right here um, is why, if you've ever wondered why the church today is always criticized for who we exclude, when Jesus was always criticized for who he included, Okay, we're, we're often criticized because we exclude people, where Jesus was always criticized for who he included in community. The church today, we, we invite people to come into our box, into the Christian 
world and, and Christian culture. In contrast, Jesus went to people and entered into their lives. In a bounded set community, we remove people from their context, their friend groups, the places they hang out. Um, and, and in contrast, Jesus met people in their context and, and left them in their context. He would uh, have an encounter with people that would change their lives, and then he'd say, stay in, stay in your town, stay with your family, stay with your friends, and talk about what has happened to you. It's interesting. There's a statistic that's been shown in a number of, a number of different studies that uh, after a, a person becomes a Christian and starts attending church, within two to five years, they, are, they lose all their friends outside of that church. Okay, so after two to five years, people, people just com- are completely removed from their old context and are now in this Christian box. In the bounded set communities, people feel like they need to get it together before they come in, get it together before they come to church, put on their best self. Well, Jesus embraces people long before they ever get it together, regardless of if they ever do. You know, you think about Judas, one of his disciples. Uh, Jesus knew he was going to betray him to be murdered, and Jesus still embraced him, still loved him, still included him in the community up until that moment that he left. In Bounded Set, the goal is, is this moment of conversion when someone enters into the box. In Centered Set, the goal is a lifelong journey of growing in our understanding of Jesus together. In Bounded Set, the, the goal is, or, or uh, people in the box are the experts, okay? They hold, these people, they hold all the truth and the wisdom uh, that the people outside the box need. In Centered Set, each person has the God-given ability and the wisdom to seek truth and go on a journey that God has them on. And they get to do that in a community of people who are all doing the same. Lastly, in, in Bounded Set, we see people on the outside first as sinners or flawed people who need to be fixed up. In Centered Set, everyone is seen as someone who is made in the image of God and therefore is precious valuable, and loved by God. So let's dive into our passage and and get a little context for this. I'm going to leave this up as reference. So Jesus gives this invitation in verse 9. He's walking along and he sees Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he says, follow me. So Matthew gets up and follows him. So what is Matthew? He's a tax collector, right? Um, And if you don't know what that is, uh, it's... Uh, well, first of all, tax collector in or out of the box. Okay, he's very far out of the box, and, and this is why. So at the time, the Jewish people, they were under uh, uh, the authority of the Roman Empire. And what the Romans would do and, and why they were able to really grow such a massive empire is instead of putting their own people in every space, they would have some military presence, but they would take uh, local people, native people, make them kings, puppet kings like Herod, when Jesus was born, uh, puppet kings of the Roman Empire, but he was a Jewish person. Similarly, they would hire Jewish people to collect taxes from the the Jews to send to the Roman Empire. So a tax collector, Matthew, was a Jewish person who was a puppet of the Roman Empire. He was this, um, he was this, uh, 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 I'm sorry, He he was this reminder, a constant reminder that Jewish people were not free. And tax collectors, they, they were seen as, as greedy cheats. You know, they would, 
uh, have the freedom to take as much as they wanted in addition to the Roman tax. So, you know, someone's walking along and they just uh, caught a bunch of fish and, you know, Matthew stops them at his booth and says, hey, you know, this is the tax that Rome's going to take. And by the way, here's, here's the service charge. Uh, you're going to have to pay this in addition. And he would keep all that. And he could do, ask for however much he wanted. I mean, think about how mad do we get about service fees on the ATM? Or how, how mad do we get when our cell phone company charges these extra hidden fees? I, I saw a post recently on Instagram uh, from a friend in Chicago. It's a DoorDash post. And, and uh, you know, DoorDash, they charge you for delivery and, and service fee. And, that, and then it said Chicago fee. And, and so, you know, it's like, well, what, what's that? You know, why, why is that on top of all the other fees that you might have? I and mean, we get so mad about these. So imagine uh, someone doing that uh, on a much larger scale um, and, and you know, keeping that money and then giving the rest to this oppressive uh, uh, power that's, that's ruling over your people. And if you didn't pay what, what the uh, tax collector was asking, he had the Roman soldiers to back them up. It was like the mafia, right? If you don't do what he says, he's going to send someone to take care of you. The Roman soldiers would, would back up the tax collectors for whatever they asked for. So Matthew was one of the most hated people among the Jewish community. He was so far outside the boundaries of this good Jewish person. So Matthew responds to Jesus' invitation, um, and, and he invites Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests. And he invites over all his friends, all these other tax collectors, and it says other disreputable sinners. So not only does he respond to Jesus, he then invites Jesus into his life and into his community. And Jesus accepts. I mean, think about this. How often does that happen to us? How often do people outside of the church, people that, that you know, would, would feel very uncomfortable in church, how often do they eagerly invite us into their lives? How often do we actually enter into people's lives? Jesus, in, in accepting Matthew's offer, what he's doing is he's identifying himself with Matthew. And not only Matthew, but he identifies himself with all his friends as well. Or in the words of the Pharisees, Jesus identifies with scum, with trash, with human garbage. This is a big deal for the Jewish people. Who you eat with, who you spend your time with matters. It's part of your identity. And I know it's easy to brush this off and say, well, you know, we're not like the Pharisees. You know, we don't think about people like that. And that may be true, but, but ask yourself this. When is the last time you shared a meal with someone who wasn't a Christian? When's the last time you identified yourself with someone who religious folks would be embarrassed to be seen with? Imagine your neighbor uh, is selling drugs out of his house down the street. Do you avoid that neighbor? Would you go have dinner at that neighbor's house? Would you even be invited? Because based on the many stories of Jesus' interactions with people, he would be welcomed into that sinner's home, or, or that neighbor's home, I'm sorry, and he would most certainly go share a meal with them. Jesus would identify himself with that neighbor that were uncomfortable being around. And so we really have to wrestle with this if we say we follow Jesus. We must realize that if Jesus showed up today, if he moved into your neighborhood, if his ministry took place in, in your context 
today. He would spend time in places that most Christians would be ashamed to be seen in. He would gather communities around himself that look radically different from from our churches. He would run in completely different circles than Christians do. People who wouldn't dare step foot in a church, people who have never felt loved and accepted by Christians, would feel fully accepted and loved by Jesus the moment he stepped into their lives. This is something that that should torment us if we truly follow Jesus. That many Christian lives look nothing like Jesus' life. That many Christian churches look nothing like Jesus' communities. So the Pharisees, they question Jesus in verse 11. They ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with scum? You see, these ver- the Pharisees have a very clear idea of what it means to be in and what it means to be out. Respectable Jewish people believed the right things and behaved in the right way, and they only associated with people who believed and behaved in the same way. So being in or being righteous was entirely defined by your beliefs and your behaviors, as well as who you associated with. That was how you were identified. That, that was how you were identified. So you can imagine their shock when this supposed Messiah, who is also claiming to be the Son of God, is spending more time with people who are out rather than people who are in. You can sense their disgust when Jesus is associating with those who hold all the wrong beliefs, or at least very compromised beliefs, and do all the wrong things. Why would Jesus taint himself with these sorts of people? Why would he approve of their way of life? This is what the Pharisees are thinking. So if we really come to grips with this passage, I think we have to admit that Christians today often look more like Pharisees than Jesus. And I'm not talking about the legalistic, you know, fire and brimstone Christians, but the average contemporary Christian. We view Christian community in the same way that the Pharisees viewed their community. We gather in the same way as the Pharisees. We just cloak it in nicer words. We are politically correct Pharisees. We say things like hate the sin and love the sinner. Like you can truly love someone by first pointing out the things you hate about them. We say, you know, I love my neighbor. I just, you know, don't, I don't approve of their lifestyle. So we keep our distance. We don't give them or anyone else the impression that we might approve of the things they do. We separate ourselves from the very people that Jesus would spend his time with. We treat people like projects and think that if we can convince them to change their behaviors and beliefs, then they could come into our communities. What if we saw people as valuable? What if we saw people as worthy of our time and presence, even if they don't change their behaviors and beliefs? What if we saw people as made in the image of God, people who have something built into their very nature that reflects God himself? What if we saw people as deeply loved by Jesus just the way they are? How would we live differently? How would our communities change? How would our world change? How many people who feel unloved and unworthy would have their world completely turned upside down? 
This is exactly what Jesus gets at in his response to the Pharisees. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He says, look, if you think you have it all together, if you think you're too good for those who don't, then I didn't come here for you. But then he says this, and this is amazing. He says, learn the meaning of this, and he quotes a passage or a verse from Hosea 6. Obviously, he doesn't think the Pharisees understand the meaning of this. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. So think about this for a minute. Sacrifices were incredibly important in the life of a Jewish person. They were essential. And what are sacrifices for? I mean, generally speaking, they are for the the cleansing. They take away the sins of the person that offers them. Or if they're offered on behalf of the community, they, they take away the sins of the community. They cleanse you. They make you holy. So, I mean, this is amazing. What, what is Jesus saying here? He's, he's saying, quit worrying about your own righteousness. Quit worrying about being holy. Quit worrying about following every rule and every law and start loving people. Start showing mercy and grace to people. Start seeing people outside of the church as valuable, precious, and worthy of love. And, and not because of what they beco- could become, Okay, we don't love people because of what they can become, but who they already are. Stop withholding yourself and Jesus from people because you don't agree with their lifestyle. When you wake up in the morning, don't think, okay, you know, how can I do all the right things today and avoid all the wrong things? Instead, ask yourself, how can I love my neighbor today? What if we went all in on love? What if our agenda was love, not behavior or belief modification? What if we just met people wherever they were at and walked with them on a journey that God has them on? What if we showed them Jesus? And not as this distant God that they can only experience in our church services, but as a present and real God who walked this earth and met people right where they are at. As a real God who is full of love and mercy. What if we actually lived like Jesus? What if we actually gathered communities like Jesus? If we are truly following Jesus, if, we, uh, if, our, if the church is, is truly a community that is centered on Jesus, there should not be a divide between the way we live and the way Jesus lived. There should not be a disconnect between church and the communities that Jesus gathers around himself. Why do our churches look like this, a bounded set community, when Jesus' communities look like this, a centered set community? Why is Jesus known for his love and mercy, and the church is known for being judgmental and exclusive? Churches, if they are communities centered on Jesus as they are called to be, should be the most loving, gracious, inclusive, authentic, messy, humble, socially engaged communities in the whole world. 
So how do we respond to this passage? Well, three things. I mean, there's a hundred ways you could respond to this passage. Three things that I'm going to share with you. Uh, first, repent. We need to repent. We need to apologize and, and recognize how we have looked down upon people, how we have isolated ourselves from our neighbors, how we have excluded people from our churches and our communities. And we may even actually need to apologize verbally to our neighbors and other people who uh, um, in our lives we have held at arm's length, who we have not engaged with because of their lifestyle or or simply uh, because they are different from us. And we need to apologize not just for ourselves and how we may have acted towards others, but for Christians in general. We need to own the fact that whether we like it or not, we are part of a larger community of people who are seen as exclusive, judgmental, and at times hateful. When, some, when someone shares with you, you know, why they don't like the church or, or how they have been hurt by Christians, don't make excuses. Don't tell them, oh, that's not all Christians. Just apologize. Say, yes, that is wrong, and I am so sorry you experienced that. Mourn with them. Understand them. Don't let your pride or your desire to defend Christianity keep you from loving people. We must apologize. We must repent. So that's number one. Number two, we must listen. We need to listen to people. We need to not have an agenda for our relationships and our conversations. We cannot meet people uh, wherever they are at, like Jesus did, if we are only focused on where we think they should go or who we think they should become. We need to listen to people. We need to learn from people. If we really believe that every person is made in the image of God, then there is something that every person can reveal to us about God regardless of what they believe or what they do. We must be present with people, quick to listen, and very, very slow to speak. So we must listen. That's number two. And number three, the last response is we must love. We must love. If we have an agenda at all in our relationships, it has to be love. Not behavior modification, not convincing someone of certain beliefs. We must serve people selflessly in love. We must offer up our lives in loving service to others, just as Jesus has offered up his life to us. I want to read a few passages of scripture here for you. First one's in Matthew 22. Jesus says, you must love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets rest on these two commands. Love God and love others. Romans 13 says, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills all the requirements of God's law. Love. Galatians 5, verse 14. 
For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. James 2, verse 8. If you truly fulfill the highest law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So let's repent. Let's listen. And let's be known by our radical and unconditional love for all people. Let's not form communities of people that look, act, and sound just like us. Instead, let's be part of communities that look like the ones Jesus gathered around himself. Let me pray. God, as we uh, enter into this time of worship, I pray that we just imagine the communities that you gathered around yourself, the messiness, the the uh, pain that is present in the lives of the people you gather around yourself, the uncomfort of those communities, and I pray that we crave them. Not because it makes us comfortable, not because uh, uh, we, we may uh, just be drawn to every person in that community, because, but because that's where we can experience true love and that's where we can offer true love. May our heart break for all the people that have been hurt and excluded by the church. May we repent for the times that we have distanced ourselves from people because of uh, their, their behaviors or their lifestyle or, or, or whatever their beliefs may be. Let us lead with love, God, as you led when you sent Jesus here to be with us. Help us to love, God. Amen.